Welcome to Retire Smarter with Kevin Krosky. Find answers to your toughest questions and get educated about the financial world. It's time to retire smarter. Thanks for joining us for another edition of Retire Smarter. I'm Walter Storholt alongside Kevin Krosky, the president and wealth advisor of True Wealth Design, serving you in Northeast Ohio with offices in Akron and Canfield as well. You can find the team online, as always, at truewealthdesign.com. Listen to past episodes of the podcast and subscribe to future episodes as well. It's all at truewealthdesign.com. Kevin, thanks for taking some time out to join us for another show. How are you doing, sir? I am doing good, Walter. I uh, off to a good 2019 and uh, can't complain. Fantastic. And looking forward to our conversation today is, I think, you know, we say this all the time, maybe it's really old, but it's kind of like the weather, right? I mean, it's a go-to conversation piece, but the year is just flying by. I know everyone says that and it, they say it probably all 12 months of the year, but it just really does, doesn't it? Time keeps uh, giving the illusion that it moves faster, yes. That's I think right. we actually touched on this before, but uh, our memories, we just our brains go back to our past memory patterns, and That's right. they tend to repeat over time, so it gives the illusion of time moving quicker. So I think Yogi Berra... another way of saying that we have more experience, I suppose, Walter. Yogi Berra said something along the lines of, uh, it's deja vu all over again, and I get that feeling quite a bit, for sure. Well, He also uh, had one of my favorites. He said, uh, it's difficult to make predictions, especially about the future. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and a, a nickel ain't worth a dime anymore. It was, uh, it was a pretty good <laughs> one as well. We'll do a podcast one day where it's nothing but Yogi Berra quotes and breaking the philosophy down of each one. I think that would be a lot of fun to do. Well, we've got a fun one scheduled for today. We're kind of piggybacking off of our previous episode. If you didn't hear it, episode number 12 of the Retire Smarter podcast, we talked about kind of going behind the curtain of a annuities in the annuity world and maybe the free steak dinners that you hear about. And we're kind of going to continue that conversation about the different types of annuities. And there's one that we thought deserved its own podcast, Kevin, and it's variable annuities, which I have heard described as, you know, a borderline four-letter word in many circles of the retirement community. So I'm looking forward to your thoughts on variable annuities, what there is to know, how to understand them, why they exist, all the good stuff. So peel back that curtain a little bit more for us today. Sure. So, you know, if you hadn't listened to the last episode, it may be helpful to go ahead and take a listen. But briefly, we touched on a few different types of annuities. So in broad perspective, there's kind of two umbrellas. There are immediate annuities, which are very pension-like, give money to an insurance company, and then they start paying you money, say, every month or every year that typically will last for your lifetime. Then on the other hand, there are deferred annuities, and there's a few different types of annuities that fall under that deferred umbrella. They could be a fixed annuity, which is basically a CD-like investment. They could be something called a fixed indexed annuity, which is basically like a CD with a little bit of juice. And that's what we went into last time in more detail. And then you can also have variable annuities, and that's what we'll talk about today. So variable annuities are very similar to, uh, say, a mutual fund investment. They just fall under that variable annuity wrapper. And they're a little bit different in the sense that they're called sub-accounts within variable annuities. But basically, it's a mutual fund-like investment within a variable annuity wrapper. And the reason why, in my opinion anyway, a lot of people sell these, uh, they tend to be higher commission products. And there's been a lot written about that in the financial press over, you know, over time. But you still end up seeing these. We still end up seeing these for new clients that come in. 
are looking to make sense of what they have and they come in with these things that they were sold and they're not really sure what they have. They're not really sure if they should keep it or what should they do with it, how to go ahead and take income if it is something that they're in. So I thought it'd be beneficial just to go ahead and kind of dive into it and explain really what are the costs that are involved as well as what are some of the potential benefits and where might it fit into the plan. So costs are, are very, some of them are transparent, some of them are a little bit less, so you kind of have to dig under, um, do a little bit of digging. But I'll just go through a list of about five of them that are pretty typical in every single annuity contract that are out there these days. So there's something called a mortality and expense charge. And basically, it's just a fee that the annuity company charges to go ahead and one, make some money for themselves, but also provides you with a death benefit. Now, the death benefit on these things is a little bit dissimilar to life insurance, which we typically think about if we hear death benefits. But usually, it's the guarantee is nothing more and the payout, at least what was put in. Um, so even though there's a death benefit, it's not like it's tax-free like life insurance is. Frankly, it's really not much of a benefit, but it's just a way for the insurance company to go ahead and, and charge some money for the product that they're putting out there. So that's the mortality and expense charge, or M&E for short. Separately, there's administrative expenses. And there's enough money that's put into these policies. The administrative expenses could be set aside, but typically you'll see them at maybe like 0.1 to 0.3% of the policy value per year. And I should back up for a moment and mention that the mortality and expense charges typically, generally it's over 1%. I'll commonly see them around 1.25 or 1.4. When I'm looking at one of these for a client that you know had one of these coming into our relationship together, on the other hand, you could see one that with maybe some cost stripped out of it at about a half of a percent. So we got two expenses in the M&E, you know, typically we're, we're closer to that 1.5 level for the ones that are actually sold from financial salespeople. Then you have this administrative expense as well. So now here's 0.1 to 0.3. And so we start adding these up. Uh, next, you all the investment accounts that are in there, again, they're mutual fund like, but it's just the way that these things are regulated. They're actually called sub accounts. Now, you could buy, go out and say, buy a PIMCO total return bond fund in a mutual fund format. And you can also own that PIMCO total return investment strategy within an annuity. And you'll often see that, hey, you can buy the exact same strategies inside or outside of the annuity. It's also not uncommon sometimes that you'll see uh, the sub account version marked up higher than what you could buy in the mutual fund format. So that's another little gotcha that the insurance company can do there. So typical investment expenses, again, I mean, you can buy some funds that may be more passive or index-like that could be on the lower end of the range, so maybe like around 0.2 or 0.3%, or you could see some that are very you know, esoteric and active, you know, maybe all the way up to 2 or 3%. But we got three expenses, the mortality and expense charge, the admin, now the investment expense, and uh, you also have surrender charges. So typically, again, when you look at the annuity marketplace, the vast, vast majority are commission-based products. Uh, so there are some fee-only products that are out there where everything is transparent. You, know, you would get either maybe a fixed fee or a, a kind of the commission stripped out in a much lower fee that are in there. But the vast majority of the products that are sold in variable annuities are, are commission-based and they have surrender charges. Now, why do they have surrender charges? Walter, you want to take a guess on that one? Well, they don't want you to uh, you know, undo everything after they've paid out these big commissions, right? 
Yeah. So if the annuity is paying out, say, a 4 or 7% commission or something like that, and that's going to the representative that sold that, then the insurance company has to apply this surrender charge and get their money back if you wanted to hit the eject button. So it's like insurance for their own for their own sale. It's insurance for the insurance company, right? Uh, (laughs) I've never thought of it that way, but you're (laughs) right. So, you know, the higher the commission, the longer the surrender charge. If it's going to be a 7% commission, then you're probably going to see a seven year surrender period. And so basically the way you can think of it is about, it's going to amortize out about 1%, you know, to that representative per year. But that person that sold you that is getting all that money up front, that whole 7% day one. So the surrender charges may not come into apply in your case if you hold on to it. But if you get sold this and then you have some buyer's remorse and say, hey, this really wasn't in my best interest and you want to get out, there may be a pretty severe penalty to go ahead and get out in the form of a surrender charge. So that's four. Three are basically happening every year. Surrender charge may apply. And then there's something called a, a rider. And this is something additional to the kind of the chassis of the policy, if you will. And most commonly, what you'll find is it's some sort of income rider that will guarantee some sort of minimum income benefit or minimum withdrawal benefit over your lifetime or over maybe both spouses' lifetime. There's uh, several different ways to do it. And uh, these things get pretty expensive. Typically, you'll find them on the order of about you know 1.25 to maybe 1.5 or 1.6%. So if we start adding these up, let's say we're at one and a half percent for the mortality expense charge, say we're at one and a half percent for the rider cost, so now we're at three, say we're at another percent for the investment expenses, now we're at four, maybe there is an admin expense added to it because it's a smaller dollar amount in there, so now we're north of four percent. So it gets pretty expensive when you start adding all these up to go ahead and invest in one of these. And the other thing is, if you combine the same, say, again, in my example, a PIPCO total return fund in a mutual fund format as you can in the sub-account, why would you go ahead and subject yourself to all these additional fees? Well, the sales pitch is usually because of these riders. And so there's going to be, again, some sort of benefit, some something that you can get from this insurance company policy, this variable annuity contract, that you can't go out and just get in a regular mutual fund or a basket of mutual funds or something like that. So if that's the case, then we should probably really kind of take the next step and look at these income riders and dissect them a little bit and figure out, hey, does it really make sense to go ahead and buy these things? So one of the things that I've seen time and time again, and frankly, it, it perturbs me, is that these things, these riders particularly, are marketed with a growth rate. And that growth rate may be, say, like 5 or 7%. And the big difference is you put cash into one of these and you have basically your cash value or your account value. And then there's something when you attach a rider to it, it's almost like this hypothetical account and they call it your income account value. Those two are not the same thing. And if you want to go ahead and say, surrender the policy and get out, you're just going to get whatever your cash surrender value is. You're not going to get this hypothetical income account value. But what will often happen, and frankly, I've seen even professional people that sell these things get this you know, screwed up when they explain them. But the insurance company will often dangle this care and say, hey, if you don't take income right away, so maybe you're 60 years old, you put $100,000 into one of these things and you let it grow until you're 65. We're going to guarantee, and they'll, they'll throw out that G word, we're going to guarantee that you're going to get 5 or 7% or whatever it may be increase 
on your income account value. And what happens is when they say income account value, the person that's being sold that product and getting ready to put money into there, they think that they're getting a guaranteed five or 7% return yeah. on their cash. That's what it sounds like. Completely. And sometimes it's, it's legal what they're doing. Certainly, I think it's misrepresented sometimes. And frankly, I've seen examples where literally it was blatantly misrepresented to people. Now, whether that you know was the ignorance of the person selling it or that was, you know, I want to say fraud, but either way, neither of those is good. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard that. So, you know, how can the insurance company guarantee a five or seven percent return? You can't. You simply can't. You know, actually if you think about it, maybe you can. You know, there was a guy a lot of people are familiar with called Bernie Madoff and he guaranteed pretty much a 10% return. And we all know how that ended up. So, you know, if you go and put money in the bank today, you're going to get somewhere around a two or 3% rate of return. If you're going to invest in stocks, you know, certainly it's going to be volatile, but insurance companies are going to put money into bonds. So that's how you look at any insurance company, you look at their balance sheet, the vast majority, more than 90% is going to be in high quality bonds. So they cannot go ahead and just say, okay, we're going to give you a guaranteed five or 7%. So that is incredibly important. Remember, it's on this income account value. It's not on the cash that's actually in the policy. So if it's not on the cash and it's on this income account value, well, does it make sense to go ahead and take the rider be subjected to all these costs. And is that income rider really going to be beneficial to you? Well, here's how these income riders work when you actually get into the payout phase. And so I actually just picked an example from Vanguard, who I'm sure everybody's familiar with. Very consumer-friendly company. They don't have commission-based products. They did team up, I think it was with uh, an insurance company, Transamerica, to offer some of, not some, but a variable annuity product with an income rider. And so I'm just going to use Vanguard because, frankly, it's probably skews much more positively than most of the stuff that's out there and that's sold. So if you look, if you just go to Vanguard's website and you look at this thing, which I just did uh, about a week or two ago, uh, basically, if you are a married couple under the age of 65, it's going to pay out 3.5% of the income account value for life. 3.5%. So if you're, let's just say that you're, you know, 64 in that example, if it's going to pay out three and a half percent per year, then you're going to have to live quite a long time just to recoup what you put in. Because if you are only allowed to pull three and a half percent per year, then you're going to go ahead and have to pull this out, uh, live for about 29 years or so. Again, that assumes no growth in the policy, but let's just think about that for a minute. Again, it's like if you put a hundred thousand dollars in, and you're getting out $3,500 a month, and literally you have to live 29 years just to recoup what you put in. And you have to spend all of your money first. Every single dollar of your own money in that cash, cash account, the account value, cash surrender value, what have you, before you get any of the insurance company's money through that rider. So if you're starting this rider benefit at age 64, and you have to live 29 years, assuming that there's no growth in there. Now you're, you know, you're, <laughs> you're well into your 90s at that point before you can get any of the insurance company's money. Wow, that, I mean, that's just your head spins with all of those different costs. But that's kind of the drop the mic moment right there, just with the such a little actual increase on those dollars and almost the same amount going out the door. It sounds like is coming in the door. It just almost seems like a worthless investment at that point. 
Yeah, it's you have to let's put it this way: you have to live really long for these things to <laughs> to really pay out. And frankly, if you do a comparison in terms of, well, if I didn't do this annuity and I just put it in a mutual fund portfolio, generally speaking, what you're going to find is you're not going to need all that high of a rate of return to provide that exact same income stream. Now, it may not be guaranteed. However, guarantees are expensive, as this example that I'm going through shows. If I go back to the Vanguard product here for a moment, once you get up to age 65, the payout is increased to 4.5%. So at that point, 4.5%, you only have to live 22 years in that example, or say age 87. But basically, you know, you really do have to have well above average longevity for these things to make sense to go ahead and do. Now, if I just back up for a minute, I said there's that's assuming that there's no growth in these. Well, when you're adding up all these different expenses, and again, going through that quick example, mortality and expense charge about one and a half percent, investment expense, you know, about a percent or so. Uh, so there you're at two and a half. You add on the rider, maybe another one and a half percent. Now you're four percent. Maybe it has an administrative expense or not, but you're at four percent. Now, one of the other things that happens when you look at these, the charge on the rider is actually on this income account value. So on that hypothetical, you know, hey, it's not cash money in the bank. You can't walk away with it, but on this hypothetical portion. So what actually happens is you start taking money out of this policy through that rider. Let's go back to our example. And let's say you put $100,000 in here. Let's say that's, you know, basically you say you put it right in and you just started taking the rider right away. So over time, your cash value is going to keep getting drawn down, but that income account value, you know, it may stay higher. We have some clients where they have these variable annuities and they bought them and the income account value is, is substantially higher than the cash value in the policy. And really when you look at it, because that charge is on that income account value, when I say that charge, the, the rider charges on that income account value, their costs were maybe around 4% when they started, but literally their costs were probably closer to about 6% now. So it's something that over the years I kind of lovingly dubbed the variable annuity death spiral, where it just keeps succumbing you know, to greater and greater increasing costs. And it's just a death spiral. The cash value goes to zero. So it's not really a good place to be. Um, so again, those guarantees are expensive. And oh, by the way, they actually become even more expensive over time because of that you know, functionality of that income rider. So it's tricky. It sounds good. Hey, 5 or 7% guaranteed growth rate. Well, it's not guaranteed growth rate on cash. It's really on this other thing. And this other thing actually is going to be dependent upon when you go ahead and turn it on, what your age is. And then we may also go ahead and charge higher fees on that amount over time. So it just eats up more and more of your cash. So when you look at this, and I've looked at these, you know, several times over the years for clients and in general, it's not something that we use in our practice if we are say starting fresh with a client, but you know, people accumulate things over time. Maybe they worked with a different, you know, financial salesperson before they came us to us as their advisor and try to make things work. But you know, we'll analyze these and in some cases we've decided to keep them but inevitably, these things are really a pain in the butt to work with, and really the purported benefits aren't there. If we could go back and undo some of the things that our, our clients did before they started working with us, I would completely you know, undo these things, and the clients would have been better off if they would just have invested in a low-cost, diversified fashion in mutual funds. Granted, they may not have a guarantee, 
but that guarantee is very, very expensive and generally not worth it in most cases, in my opinion. Two things I definitely want to touch on. One is it's a broader thing than just looking at variable annuities. I just thought it was really cool the way you put that a few moments ago when you said guarantees are expensive. And that can be a foundational way of looking at your investment life and even beyond investments in the financial world. Anything in life, that's very applicable. Guarantees are expensive. I don't know. That just really rings true to me as something kind of a valuable takeaway from today's podcast from a life standpoint. The second thing is I've got to try and be a devil's advocate. I've got to try and be, you know, let my internal optimist come out in some way, shape, or form here, Kevin. I mean, these things have to exist for a reason. Is there a case where these products do make sense for someone? I mean, someone's got to actually need these things. Otherwise, again, my internal optimist says they wouldn't exist. Is there a case where that's been the case? And it's not just from a, well, it's too expensive to get out of it now, so you might as well keep it. Is there ever a time in anyone's financial life where this becomes a vehicle that makes sense? Well, that's kind of a loaded question the way that you posed it. Um, <laughs> honestly, Walter, I've, I've never seen a case where where it's made sense. Let's back up for a moment. Let's say that you really want to guarantee well, those immediate annuities that I talked about when we started off the podcast today, where you literally just you know give uh, amount of money to an insurance company, they're going to pay you an income stream for as long as you live. If you want to guarantee, those are much more favorable from a consumer perspective to go ahead and use those than these higher cost variable annuities. There's also something, and I didn't mention this, it's, it kind of falls under the deferred annuity category but they're really deferred. Uh, So they have these deferred income uh, annuities that maybe you give the insurance company money at 60 or 65, but it's only going to pay out if you live to say age 85. And so because you're taking that mortality risk that, hey, it's possible that you could die prematurely, then they're going to give you a higher payout and the cost to provide that guarantee for basically that call it tail coverage. You know, hey, maybe I do live to be 100 or older, and I don't want to outlive my money. So I'm just going to go ahead and give $100,000 or something like that to the insurance company, but I don't want any payments until I reach age 85. Well, from a planning perspective, that can be really good because if I have a client who we do that strategically at 65, and then this income annuity, this really deferred income annuity is going to pay in at age 85, what I like about that is I have a very defined time period that I'm planning for. So when I do their retirement planning, do their investment planning, then I can look and say, here's a fixed period of years of 20 years that we have to make your portfolio last, your liquid portfolio. Because if you live longer than that, then this deferred income annuity is going to come in. It's going to provide that tail coverage for you. That is a much easier retirement puzzle to solve than one that isn't completely open-ended. So if a client really wants guarantees, some of these other types of annuities are much more client-friendly are much better. And there's a lot of good academic evidence supporting it. The problem is, it's a behavioral problem. If you give $100,000 to insurance company, and you don't have any strings on this annuity, and say you get hit by the beer truck a week later, and now you haven't gotten anything from the annuity that you went ahead and provided, you went went ahead and gave money to. And so you kind of lose that mortality bet. You know, you got the short end of the stick. You didn't live long enough not only to recoup what you put in, but to get any of the insurance company's money. Well, that's the whole basic principle of annuities. You're pulling this mortality risk. Uh, but people 
just have a tough time saying, well, what happens if I don't live that long and I don't get my money back? And then they start wanting to put all these different strings on the annuity where maybe if they do get the short end of the stick, well, their beneficiaries are going to get at least what they put into the policy. Or there's going to be some other string that's put on through. The more strings you put on these annuities, the lower the payout's going to be because the less risk you have for mortality risk. So I've honestly never seen a case where a variable annuity has made... I take that back. Okay. I just thought of one. Okay. <laughs> the, ready one for this? the one example. All right. I knew there would get, there I, have to be one. <laughs> so um, if a client has life insurance and they don't need the life insurance any longer and it's not performing properly any longer, maybe they have to put money into it or something like that. And they want to go ahead and get out of it rather than surrendering it sometimes, which would cause a taxable event. Sorry, I might sound a little eggheady here for a moment. You can actually do a tax retransfer into an annuity and then you could invest in the annuity. Now, we did that very same thing. I think one client, we've been practicing for a while. You know, we serve about 200 families and take care of all their you know, financial investment and tax planning needs. And literally, with all the experience I've had over the years, I have one use case where the annuity made sense because we wanted to get out of that life insurance policy and get into an annuity. And oh, by the way, the annuity that we got into was not commissionable. The client pays a flat fee of $20 a month to the insurance company, and we were able to get the same investment choices that we would have invested anyway inside the annuity. And I think it ended up costing like 0.01 or 0.02% more because the insurance company marked up the mutual fund investment, aka subaccount in the annuity. So <laughs> Walter, I'm kind of I got a smirk on my face right now, but I just don't see it. You know, if you really want to guarantee, there's better ways to go ahead and provide that guarantee. But you have to get over that behavioral hurdle of, well, what if I don't live that long? If you want to guarantee, you're going to be making the trade-off of having some sort of bequest or estate planning value that you could live leave to your charity or to your beneficiaries, kids and grandkids, what have you. What we prefer to do for the vast majority of people, though, is really just come back to that plan. We want to put a good financial plan together. We really want to measure the rate of return that a client's going to need to go ahead and make their plan work. We want to make sure that we factor in how their spending is likely to change over time. We prioritize their spending between those things that they really are in the needs bucket and the things that, you know, hey, if I had to cut back, here's where I would cut back from. And then when we go in and we start matching the investments to that plan that we put a lot of diligence and care into constructing and really reflects that client's lifestyle, now we can go ahead and show them, say, okay, you know, Mr. or Mrs. Client, you know, you're going to have about a half a percent of your money in stocks and about a half a percent in bonds. If things really got bad, like it did in 08, even it started in late 07, um, you know, if we just went in and spent down the bonds and allowed stocks time to recover, how much of a uh, a bond ladder, if you will. How much time do we have for that safe part of the portfolio to go ahead and get us through any uncertainty? And we'll measure that for clients. And frankly, that's probably been one of the things that has best connected a portfolio value, whether it's 500,000 or $5 million to income. And we can show them, we'll just go ahead and dissect your portfolio. Here's the safe stuff. And if we really just had to spend down the safe stuff, how many years do you have to go ahead and ride through any uncertainty to allow stocks and the riskier parts of the portfolio time to recover? And so if we can walk them through that planning process like that, have something that is really reflects their lifestyle, helping them make smart decisions on all their income sources, pensions, social security, but then matching up their investment portion, other portfolio and their plan to go ahead and meet whatever those income sources aren't providing, then we go ahead and decompose the portfolio into, hey, this is really how much time you have before you have to use these risky things called stocks. That's been the best thing that I've 
come up with in my years of practice rather than going into some expensive product like this variable annuity that is undesirable. And if we can do that, then clients typically are able to go ahead and have that clarity, have that confidence and make a smarter decision that's going to be more beneficial to both them as well as their beneficiaries over time. This has been a beautiful half hour of skull dragging of (laughs) these variable annuities and just sort of eviscerating the usefulness of these financial products. And, you know, I think it's interesting because I know that you fall into the camp, Kevin, of viewing all of these different financial products that are out there, not variable annuities, but everything that's available out there as tools. And there aren't really such things as bad tools for the most part. Just, you know, they serve different purposes and have different things that they try to fulfill. It sounds like the problem with the variable annuity. Now, certainly it's just maybe being overemphasized from a marketing standpoint. Maybe there's nefarious actions for why these are sold because of their high commissions. I know that that's an element as well. But maybe it sounds like to me one of the fundamental flaws is that it tries to be all things to all people. It's trying to promise guaranteed income while also trying to, you know, promise that you're going to be able to get your, you know, big returns and even trying to say, well, and we're going to charge you for it, but you can even get your money back. You can even have it be liquid and get the money back if you want it. You're just going to, you know, pay out the, you know, what for it. And it tries to be all things to all people. And maybe that's why it also tends to fall short as an investment in your eyes as someone who's just trying to view products as tools. You kind of view this one as, you know, I don't know, I've been doing a lot of home renovations lately and doing a lot of painting. And you know that edger, you know, trying to paint the corners or up against the trim always is a little tough part. So they sell these little edgers and the idea is you just put this little block up against the wall and you just drag it down. It's like a beautiful idea. They don't even work that well. They're kind of a worthless tool, even though the idea behind them kind of sounded like a good idea. It just doesn't work all that well in the end. Yeah. If you look at the sales of these things, even though there are non-commissionable variable annuities that are out there, it's something like 97% of the market is going into the commissionable type of annuity. And so when you see something like that, I mean, I don't think it's conspiracy. I mean, I think it's pretty evident, frankly, when you look at the evidence that it's really the commissions that are driving it and then driving the product sales. And you'll have all kinds of ways to explain these things about how they're wonderful and know that person no, that that article doesn't make sense. Yeah, there's high cost, but look at all these benefits. Well, you know, if you don't have a plan, if you can't really kind of connect your money to your life and make those smart decisions that you need to make, how I described just a couple minutes ago, then I think your your mind goes to this place of fear. And you certainly none of us want to outlive our money. You know, after we turn off that paycheck spigot and go into retirement, any sensible person, one of their first goals is I want my money to last at least a little bit longer than I do. And so It's kind of a fear-based sale and there are these guarantees, but when you actually dissect it, there's much, much smarter ways to do it. And certainly there's a lot of financial incentives. Again, 97% of the industry of the variable annuity sales are going to the commission-based type. It's pretty evident what's driving those sales. The curtain has been peeled, no doubt about it. So I guess the uh, call to action for you here is if you have a variable annuity and you've never had that look, that deep look at how it's working inside of your entire financial plan, and you've heard today's 30-minute podcast and it's got you going, man, I'm guessing that this thing is you know dragging down my portfolio. It's a weight around my neck. Maybe this wasn't the wisest thing to get into. I'd like to learn more about it. 
Kevin and his team can kind of take a look at that for you as they've done with many of the clients that they work with and walk you through there. Or if it's something that maybe you're being sold right now and you've heard lots of good things about it and now you're hearing some of these bad things about it and you want to get more information, Kevin would be happy to talk to you about that as well. A couple of different things you can do. You can call the team at 855-TWD-PLAN, 855-TWD-PLAN. The full number version there is 855-893-7526. Or you can go online to truewealthdesign.com. That's truewealthdesign.com. Click on the Are We Right For You button, and you can schedule a 15-minute call with an experienced financial advisor on the True Wealth team and talk about this exact topic as well as other things that might be going on in your financial life and get some help that way. Kevin, this was fun and, like I said, kind of an evisceration of these uh, variable annuities. You did that with surgical precision, sir, and it was kind of fun to watch. (laughs) Thanks, Walter. I'll lay something down here. So the example said you may not expect any growth in these products. In the next podcast, we'll talk about expected returns, and I'll loop in why that's the case. We'll turn things in a more positive direction, it sounds like. Well, positive in general, but maybe (laughs) we'll probably beat up on the variable annuity just a little bit more as well. (laughs) That's all right. It can be our punching bag for a little longer. So there's a little tease of what's coming up on the next podcast. Thanks so much for joining us on this one. This has been Retire Smarter with Kevin Krosky. I'm Walter Storholt. Hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. You can do that on the website, truewealthdesign.com. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accurateness and completeness cannot be guaranteed. All performance reference is historical and not an indication of future results. Benchmark indices are hypothetical and do not include any investment fees.